0: Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. I just want to thank Zach uh, for asking me to share this morning because the Lord had put a word in my heart um, a, a couple years ago, and I've been thinking about this. I was trying to—I I was talking to Zach yesterday, and I, I said, "I think it was about three years ago," and he said, "No, no, no, it was sooner than that." So I can't—it was either right before COVID or right after COVID. But somewhere around there, and I and I think I remember the timeline is you preached the message on the virgins and the blowing of the trumpet, and it was like three weeks or so before that message. So if we, are, whatever, if someone could find the date of that message, that's when the Lord put this word on my heart. So this microphone feels kind of hot. Is it okay? So all right, it's all, right. all right. So um, so I'm actually going to open up with a uh, uh, a scripture, and then we're going to actually you know we're going to pray this. Everyone who's in here. I want you to pray this prayer with me, all right, out loud, every single person. And if I see you and you're not, not praying the prayer, we're going to all pray it again, all right? So we're going to do it, all right? So we're going to pray out loud and say, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus give, me eyes to see, give me eyes to see and ears to hear and, ears to hear, and, a, heart to and a heart to receive. In Jesus' name I pray, In Jesus name I pray. Amen. amen. All right. So I'm preaching out uh, the New Living Translation this morning. Um, usually when I teach, I teach out of the NASB to try to stay congruent with Pastor Zach. Uh, no, I just, when I usually teach, I'm more of a teacher, so this is going to be a little different style for you this morning. Uh, but when I usually teach, I like to teach out of the NASB because it's very literal um, in its translation. But this morning, um, just because of the word the Lord put on my heart, I'm going to be teaching out of a version that is easier to understand. <laughs> And uh, so it's going to be the New Living Translation, all right? And so I already gave the Alex back there um, the, the scriptures that we're going to be reading from so you guys can follow along. If you, and if you have your Bible, take it out because I like to read from the Bible. And you guys are lucky today because I'm primarily pe- preaching from, like, one section of the Bible. If you're in um, my tabernacle class at School of the Spirit or if I've taught you before— Um, it's like a sword drill. I'm like in Exodus, then I'm in Hebrews, and then I'm in Psalms, and then I'm in Acts, and then I'm in Matthew, and then we jump around. So, but um, listen, it's Sunday morning, it's 4th of July weekend. It took you guys a little while to get revved up in worship. So I'm just going to stay in one section of the Bible for the most part and make it a little bit easier for you. Um, But we are going to start in Isaiah chapter 43, but this is not where I'm preaching from, but I have to give this first before we get into what I'm going to speak about this morning. Um, like I said, it was a word the Lord had put on my heart a, at least a couple, two or three years ago, wherever someone can find the date on that, um, so we'll have a better understanding of it. But Isaiah 43, and if you've been around um, at all over the last couple years, specifically since we've come out of covid um, and you've been part of the prayer and intercession and or the birthing and launching of different ministries of this church, like Rise, the Counseling Center, or um, the River Health and Wellness, or the King's Academy, uh, or any other uh, intercessory prayer type things, especially on Tuesday nights, you've heard this scripture because the scripture has been one that has resonated over and over and over again with what we believe the Lord is doing here in this house prophetically and today my message is a prophetic word for this house okay okay all right so we're going to start in isaiah chapter 43 verse 18 says but forget all that pause what are we forgetting okay so i'm going to actually go back a couple verses and i'm just going to read this starting with verse 15 it says I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that. Forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? And some versions say, do you not perceive it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. I will create a path through the wilderness. Rivers. Rivers. In the wasteland. So about three years ago, that's good, right? So about three years ago or so, yeah, two, three years ago. When was it? You looked it up? April 26th, when? 2020. Okay, so two years ago. Great, thanks for clearing that up. Zach, you were right. I was wrong. Shocker so two years ago the lord started to weigh on me a word for this church and i went to zach i was in his office in macy's i walked in and said zach i feel like the lord put putting this word in me for this church but i couldn't like really articulate it and i started to to just pray into it and then over over time it would pop up here and there and then like i said a few weeks later There was about two or three of Zach's sermons um, included elements of what I felt like the Lord was putting this word on my heart. And I got to the point where I just kind of settled with maybe that was the way it was supposed to be delivered to the church, which that happens many times. Um, And if you're on the prophetic team in here this morning, if you guys are taking notes, um, you guys can go ahead and this is all of you guys don't know what I'm talking about. This is secret code. This is Prophetic Team Code Talk. Um, while I'm preaching this morning, if you uh, would mark down blue, green, yellow, or red while I'm preaching, I'd appreciate that. Thanks, Dave. So, so over the last couple months, this word has started to be rekindled in my spirit. And there was a one Sunday morning a few weeks ago, I shared with the intercessory prayer team the essence of this word. Well really just the crux of what I felt like the Lord was saying. And then in our prophetic team meeting, I shared with the prophetic team, the Lord is putting this word has been in me for a couple years now. And I really feel like I need to articulate and start to write down what I believe the Lord is saying. And then it was like that, that was a Friday night, that Sunday in the middle of worship, pastor Zach actually like begins to exhort the body and starts to speak into that word. So I was like, oh man, I got I to gotta start writing this down. And then on Monday, um, I was asked to, to share and I knew exactly what it was going to be. And um, so here's the word, the one sentence part of the word, but then we're going to dive into what this actually means. And the word is this, this church, this house, his Providence Church has a John the Baptist mantle upon it. This house has a John the Baptist mantle upon it. And what does that mean? So we're going to dive into to look at who John the Baptist was and why it pertains to this house. So you're going to flip your Bibles over to Luke chapter 1. And while you're flipping there in your Bibles... What's so cool is that in, in when you uh, study Scripture at all, especially if you're in Bible college, is one thing that you learn, and it's this phrase that's called the synoptic gospels. And the synoptic gospels is a phrase that talks about the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how they're similar and where they overlap and the stories and the fullness of the gospel that it provides for us to understand the life of Christ. And the disciples, and who we were called to be, in relation to who the disciples were, in relation to their to their connection and discipleship by Jesus, and like what Jesus did. And so it gives us this full picture of what it means um, to, to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so and so one of the things you learn when you're learning about the synoptic Gospels is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke overlap really well. John, not so much. He was a different breed, okay? He was the beloved who refers to himself constantly as the one Jesus loved, okay? But his stories, his recount of what happened is very different than the other three. But... Throughout all four Gospels, there's 18 events or details that are recorded that are the same in all four. And only four out of the 18 actually take place prior to the week, to the last week of Jesus' life. From when the triumphal entry all the way through to the crucifixion and then the resurrection, the denial of Peter, like all that stuff. So only four out of 18 events happen prior to Jesus coming in when they're shouting Hosanna. And out of those four, two of them are about John the Baptist. The other two are Jesus rejected in Nazareth when he goes back to his hometown and begins to see miracles and healings. And then they reject him. And it says he could not perform any more miracles that day. And the second one is the feeding of the 5,000. But the first and the second of all 18 are about John the Baptist. And why is this so important? What is it? What is it? Why is it that Luke puts the prophecy of John's birth before Jesus and then John's actual birth before Jesus' birth outside of the fact that that was chronologically how it happened, and Luke was a man of detail. So he lists his account in chronological order. But then Mark also puts it before Jesus. And in Matthew, it does this back and forth with Jesus and then John and Jesus and John. And so that's what we see playing out here. So what we're going to do is now we're going to look at John's origin story. I love origin stories. Okay? Okay. And so what I want to do is, if you guys are in Luke, everyone there already? All right, Luke chapter 1, and then in uh, verses 5 through 25, I'm not going to read them all for you, but I'm going to tell you what takes place here. So one thing to know, I'm li- reading out of the New Living. So the New Living translation, um, John's father, his name is Zechariah with an E in the Hebrew. But in some translations, it says Zacharias. This isn't a contradiction. Zacharias is his Greek name. And one thing I thought was worthy to note for this house is that Zacharias, translated into English, is Zachary. So Zachary is the father of John the Baptist. So what happens here is Zachariah is a priest, and Zachariah's, Zachariah's order or his platoon or his group of priests that he serves in the temple with, They're up to serve in the temple this weekend. So Zechariah and his platoon, they get ready. Their group, they get ready to go serve in the temple. And Zechariah draws a straw that says, you're the one that has to prepare yourself to be holy and go into the sanctuary to put incense on the altar of incense. So Zechariah prepares himself. He goes in. He puts incense on the altar of incense. Now, I'm not going to get into all the altar of incense stuff. Because that's in the tabernacle class in School of the Spirit. So if you want to come to that class, you'll learn all about the altar of incense. It's going to wreck you. So Zechariah goes in, and he puts, he puts the incense on the altar of incense. And during that time, it says that people were gathered outside the temple, and they were praying. And he goes in, and he puts the incense on the altar of incense. And during that time, what would have happened is, is he would have put the incense on the altar. Smoke would have filled the atmosphere. The presence of God comes in. He turns around, and he walks over to the lampstand, and he starts trimming the wicks on the lampstand and adding oil into the lampstand. And he turns around, and Gabriel is standing in front of him. And Gabriel says, I have a word for you you are going to have a son. The Lord has heard your prayer and you are going to have a son. And after Zechariah changes his pants, he says, <laughs> he says, I, I, I don't necessarily believe this. Like, how do you know? And he goes, bro, I'm Gabriel. I just came from the court of heaven with a word for you. What do you mean? How do you know? And he says, because of your unbelief, you will not be able to speak until this prophecy has been fulfilled. And Zechariah walks out of, the, out of the temple, and it says that everybody was trying to figure out what took him so long, because, I mean, everything was pretty regimented at this point. It's like, what the heck took this guy so long? He walks out, and he cannot speak. And it says that everyone knew he had an encounter with the Lord while he was in the, ta- in the temple. And then it says, it says this thing, it says that Zechariah and Elizabeth, his wife, were righteous and they were old. <laughs> righteous and old. Now, listen, I need to point out a couple of things here. Number one, they were righteous. Not only did Zechariah have to be righteous, not only did he have to be cleansed and living a holy life to be able to fulfill his duty as a priest, but Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they were both old. Okay? And, it, and I want to read this right here. I'm actually going to read the scripture here: five, 5, 6, and 7. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. And he was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Your provision is found in the presence of God. Your provision is found in the presence of God. This, when I, as soon as I read this, I was—I reminded me of Hannah, who was also barren. And she longed to have a son. And she gets herself up, and she crawls her way into the temple and starts crying out to God. And Eli, the priest, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Eli, the priest, says, the Lord has heard your cry. And Hannah says, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. And when Samuel was born, he was dedicated to the work of the Lord. And Samuel was the one that anointed Saul, and he's the one that anointed David. And here we have Zechariah, and we have Elizabeth, righteous. They were living for God. To be righteous in that day, I mean, there was a lot of stuff you had to do to be considered righteous. That was a very narrow path to be considered righteous. And they had devoted their lives to the Lord. And they had committed themselves to prayer. And in the presence of God. Now, it doesn't even say in here that when Zechariah went in and put the incense on the altar of incense, that he prayed a prayer because it was in his heart. And listen, I just know that our church is chock full with righteous Men and women of God that may be barren, may not be barren, but they are old. (laughs) And I just want to let you know right now that the Lord is desiring to use you to birth prophets into the house of God. And I'm telling you right now, if you have something, now you can meet God wherever, okay? I get that. But I'm telling you something right now, if there are needs in your life, if there are desires of your heart, if there are things that are unfulfilled in your life, and you're not in here on a Tuesday night in the presence of God, putting incense on the altar of incense, I'm telling you, you got to start coming. Because stuff happens. We have felt very, very clear from the Lord that Tuesday nights are not a time where we come up and we put the list of all the things that we need. Tuesday night is a time where we come into the presence of God. We worship him in spirit and in truth. And our heart begins to align with the Father's heart and the things that we need. Even the desires of the heart and the plans and the purposes that he has placed inside of us begin to be birthed in his presence. And if you're not coming out on a Tuesday, you need to come out. I'm telling you. It is very powerful, and we do. We pray for people and their needs. We pray for the sick, and we see them healed. There's actually a young guy in here today. I'm waiting for him to come on a Tuesday and give his testimony who he's been healed. Psalm 22, 1 through 5. Oh, I don't have my phone. That's Sorry, right, I wrote it down. I'm going to read this in New King James my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from, my, from the words of my groaning, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, I am not silent, but you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. That psalm, Psalm 22, is a prophetic psalm of Jesus Christ hanging on that cross. And in verse 14, it says, I am poured out like water and my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax and has melted within me. This is a man in anguish. He feels like God is so far from him. Why have you forsaken me? But you are holy and throned on the praises of your people. When Zach said that in worship, I looked at will. And I was like, that's one of the verses I put in here. <laughs> enthroned on the praises of the people. Some versions say he abides in the praises of his people. And Zechariah is in that temple and he's offering up the incense. That, is a, that, those, that incense was a very specific list of ingredients that the Lord required as the incense, as worship unto him. And he puts that on the, on the altar and the smoke rises up. And in that place... The groaning of his heart. And the Lord says, I am enthroned on the praises of my people. He is there in the midst. And when you are in the presence of the Lord, your provision is accessible. Come on, this is so good. This is so good. All right, we're going to go back to Luke, staying in chapter 1, verses 57 through 66. Come on, this is so good. Guys, I'm telling you. Now, remember, now, now Zechariah has this moment in the, te- in the temple. He comes out, and he cannot speak. And now for nine months, he is silent. Okay? Luke 57. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They exclaimed, there's no one in your family with that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. Now let me just put the, for all of you that want to be inclusive, Here's the first, that moment where we see sign language in the Bible, okay? They're like, John. They're like, like, Zechariah. They're like. And they're like, boy, boy, how do we sign boy? No, that's inappropriate. That's, boy. (laughs) Okay, boy, pregnant, boy, name, name. Now, the funny part about that is that, it doesn't say he was deaf. It said he couldn't talk, OK? <laughs> I don't know, what it says they use gestures to say, what do we name your boy? After you, right? You, boy, you, uh, Z- Z- Oh, That's American sign language. They didn't have that. They're like, what does Zachariah mean, Zachary? How do you sign Zachary? Uh, <laughs> him after you. Now remember, when Gabriel told him his name's going to be John, and Zechariah was in unbelief, and he couldn't speak. So now he had nine months to dwell on the next words out of his mouth. And it says right here, it says, it says in 63, he motioned for a writing tablet. Right? He motions for a writing tablet. I mean, the sign language. You guys got to be proud of that, right? God knew. God knew. He, he, he inclusive, okay? So, so, I mean, I don't see anyone in a wheelchair here yet, but they're usually carting him around. But, and it's all right. We'll get there. So, so it, it says that he motions for a writing tablet. This is verse 63. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. And instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. Okay? The dude was not going to get it wrong on the second time. <laughs> he had nine months to dwell on this prophetic word. Nine months. And when Gabriel said, and when this prophecy is fulfilled, you'll be able to speak again. And so he wanted to make sure that he was right on board, that he was going to be obedient to the Lord. Remember, he was righteous. So instantly, Zechariah could speak again and he began praising God. Awe fell on the whole neighborhood, and news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone heard about it and reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. When we walk in total surrender to the Father, it creates an environment for the supernatural. And the neighborhood takes notice. I'm going to say that again for anyone that's taking notes. When we walk in total surrender to the Father, it creates an environment for the supernatural. And the whole neighborhood takes notice. What does it mean to be like John the Baptist? It starts with parents like Zechariah and Elizabeth that lived righteous and they lived surrendered lives And they are the ones that created an atmosphere for the supernatural to take place. That's the longing of the Father's heart is for him to be able to break out, for him to be able to see his will be done through us. And when we live surrendered and we live righteous, it creates this kind of environment. So now I'm going to keep reading here. Luke 1, 67. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Time out. I thought he was giving a prophecy about his son. But watch, there's a pattern here. Because he's prophesying about his son, but yet he starts out with a prophecy about the Messiah. This is interesting. Verse 71. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath by our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness as long as we live. And you, my little son, you will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way of the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And to guide us to the path of peace. John grew up and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry. That prophecy had two parts. Number one, the Lord will deliver us. Do you remember that Isaiah 43? The Lord is mighty, and he delivered us from Egypt, but I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And he starts out, and he recalls, and he calls back to the promises that the Lord had from Abraham and then David, with this coming Messiah, then he speaks to John. He says, my little son, my son, speaking life, Sierra, speaking life into his son, prophesying over his son. This is who you are in the Lord. This is your identity in Christ as your father, anointed by the Holy Spirit, living righteous and surrendered, filled with the Holy Spirit. Me, your father, I declare over you, my son, that you will prepare the way of the Lord. And you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of themselves and each other. I'll put that in there. That's my own addition there. And each other. Because of God's tender mercy, his kindness... The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness. And in the shadow of death. It doesn't say they are dead. It says they're in the shadow of death. Very important. And to guide us in the path of peace. So now we see this here when we consider that word, that Isaiah 43 Behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? A pathway in the wilderness, rivers in the wasteland. Coming out of COVID, I I was praying one morning, and I just was asking the Lord, like, Lord, what is it that you want to do through our outreach ministries? What is it that you want to do outside this church? And the Lord gave me that verse. Rivers in the wasteland. And I was like, well, where's the wasteland? He said, well, what do you call the wasteland? I don't know. He said, I'm using that language so you can understand where I'm moving. I said, all right. Where's the wasteland? I'm like, Fall River? <laughs> 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 and he said this. He's, he said this. You call it a wasteland. Right. Yeah. And I said, the Swansea Mall? Yeah. Right? How many times have we said this? Miss Sierra was right on point. How many times... The Swansea Mall is dead. The Swansea Mall, it's dead. It's a wasteland. And the Lord said, you call it a wasteland. And I was like, oh, shoot. So are you telling me that all along I've been declaring something dead? I've been declaring something a wasteland. But that's where your river is flowing? He's like, my little son. (laughs) I think you're starting to see it. We got to be so careful what we call dead. In this town. I mean, you drive down Route 6, we're like, this this place is busted. (laughs) Swansea's busted. And the Lord is like, rivers in the wasteland. Rivers in the wasteland. And right now, we literally have a ministry called The River here in this wasteland. Okay? I need to keep moving. Listen, if I go over, I'll never be able to preach ever again. It's the rule. All right. If I can get this water bottle open. It's the rule. Follow the rules. Righteousness. All right. I need to keep going. Alright, so now we're going to move to Luke chapter 3. So flip a page, alright? And we're going to start in verse 1, uh, yep, 3 verse 1. And the title of my Bible says, John the Baptist prepares the way. Okay, so now he's into his ministry, okay? It is now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman Emperor, Pontius Pilate was the governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was the ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Ituria um, and uh, and something or other in Greek. And then uh, Lysanias was ruler over um, Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. Pause. Pause. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. So now what happened here, this is very important. Guys, listen, we skim over details, and we don't even understand what's happening here. This just explains to you the culture in which John the Baptist is now about to minister in. That Rome, now 600 years prior to this moment, Alexander the Great comes in and with a huge conquest begins to take over this whole area. And what happens is, is they begin to, over time, put the water up on the stove until the point where the water's boiling and no one actually feels that it's boiling because your body's just been accustomed to it, right? And so now, over 600 years, Rome has has been ruling over this area. And what's happened over this time is that the priestly role has been tainted because of Rome. And you end up with these Sadducees and Pharisees, and there are these these priestly orders that are responsible for different aspects of religious life. But the problem is the Sadducee, who was like the really staunch conservative priestly role in line, their number one job was that they were concerned about order in the temple. How were things being done? If someone was going to prophesy, how were they prophesying? If someone was going into the temple, were they doing it right? Did they make the bread on the table of showbread the right way? Okay, They were very much about the rule and following the rules and making sure everything was in order. The Pharisees, they were priests as well, but they were a little bit more liberal than that. They believed in the Messiah. They prophesied about the Messiah. They believed that there was a life after death. And so they were okay with doing things a little bit out of the normal structure. And now these two groups are really interested in what's going on here. And I'll tell you one reason why they're very interested in what's going on here is because there was a detail in the first chapter that I didn't mention right away. And I don't know if you caught it. Zechariah was a priest. And Elizabeth was from the order of Aaron. And Aaron was Moses' brother. And Aaron was the first high priest. And every high priest in Israel came in the line of Aaron. And John the Baptist was born not just into a home where there was a priest, but he was born from a mother who was of the line of Aaron. So John the Baptist had a double portion because he was a double dipper. (laughs) Sorry, it's an inside joke between Will and I. So anyway, but... So John the Baptist wasn't just being raised in priestly school. He was being raised in school to be the high priest. And what happens is in 6 AD, Rome starts politically appointing high priests that will work with them in that region. So no longer is the Line of Aaron, the successor to the high priest role, because Rome has infiltrated the culture so much that now the sitting high priests are ones that agree with Rome, that they're willing to bend a little bit. They're willing to compromise a little bit in order to have favor with the government. And so Aaron is being raised up in this order to be high priest. But there's already someone there. But they are aware of him. Because remember, after he was born, the whole neighborhood saw what happened and they reflected on his birth and said, something's going to come of this kid. So there was a lot of attention on John the Baptist. Because John not only was born miraculously and his father spoke prophetically, supernaturally, But he also was born not just from a priestly lineage, but the high priest lineage. So John the Baptist is now known by everyone in the area, except that the anointing, the gifts, are on him. But he is not able to step into the role that God had anointed him for within the church, within the temple. So let's keep reading. Verse 3, 3, 3. Then John went from place to place on both sides. Oh, wait. Sorry, verse 2, halfway through verse 2. At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized and show that they have repented of their sins, And turn to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, and hold on one second right here. Now I'm reading New Living Translation. So if you're reading any other translation, this sounds a little different. So for one moment, I want you to stop following me in your translation and listen to how the New Living translates this. This is so important. The New Living says this, verse 4. Isaiah had spoken of John and he said, he is a voice. Shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled, and the mountains and the hills will be level, and the curves will be straightened, and the rough places made smooth, and the people will see the salvation sent from God. As far as I know, this is the only translation in this book of Luke that translates it this way. He is a voice crying out in the wilderness. Everyone else says, there was a voice crying out in the wilderness. There, there is a voice crying out. It says, He is the voice crying out in the wilderness. And then what happens here, is I'm just gonna kind of like go through what takes place, is that the crowds start coming. The crowds are coming out, and he's baptizing them. He's saying, repent. Repent of your sins. And he says, I am baptizing you with water, but there is one coming who will baptize you with fire. Now, all of a sudden, the Pharisees and the Sadducees start coming out because they're really interested in what's happening here. Okay? And now what takes place in their culture is, now, because the Pharisees and Sadducees showed up, the ones that are, are, are establishing the rubric of what it means to be anointed and be in ministry, and whether your message is worth anyone else hearing, is they show up, and everyone sees them there. And all of a sudden, John's ministry is validated. The top notch, the brass, they showed up. Has anyone ever seen Mighty Ducks, the movie The Mighty Ducks? All right. I think it's like the second one, maybe. I think it's the second one, right? Um, Goldberg is now on the team. Anyone remember Goldberg? What was he famous for? The knuckle puck. Come on, guys. Follow me here. All right? So... (laughs) So Goldberg, he was famous for the knuckle puck, okay? And the knuckle puck is he'd flip the puck on end, and he'd hit it, and it would, like, be doing this, and no one could follow it, and it would go on the net most of the time, okay? So now what happens is ESPN shows up to broadcast the event. Now, they went from this ragtag, ragamuffin, Group of loser kid hockey players with one good player, Banks, was the only good kid, okay? And all the rest of these guys show up. Some of them don't even have ice skates. They don't even have hockey sticks. All right, this one girl shows up with figure skates on and she's like piretting in the middle of the ice. All right. And somehow they win the championship. But in the second one, now they're a little now people respect them. And what happens? ESPN shows up to cover the match, to cover the hockey game. And now just imagine John the Baptist is Goldberg, and ESPN are the Sadducees and Pharisees, and they show up, and now he is valid. He's no longer this rag, ragamuffin wearing camel fur with a leather belt, eating honey and locusts, crazy, his hair is all over the place, shouting weird things in the desert. These guys show up. The Sadducees all wealthy. The Sadducees are actually the wealthiest people in the land at this time and they wear their nice clothes, and they all show up, and they're watching him, and they're listening to him. It's like ESPN showing up. And, and imagine this, ESPN. They're interviewing Goldberg, and they say, so, you think you're going to beat the Russians today? And they put the microphone, and he says this, you brood of vipers, all you want to do is make money on little kids like me. We're just out here trying to do our best, and all you care about is the bottom line and making headlines. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens. The Pharisees and Sadducees show up, and John the Baptist rips them up and down. And in verse 7, he says, You brood of snakes, or you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. And don't just say to each other, We're safe because we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these stones. So these religious leaders show up, and he's like, you think because you're a descendant of Abraham, all of a sudden you're safe? He can. He, these stones will cry out because you're not. God can raise up children of Abraham from the stones in this desert, and you think you're safe because you grew up in church, because you've been pastoring for 30 years? You think you're safe? Repent of your sin. And I just want to add to that, it's not just the wrong things you are doing. I will add to that in my own, because it doesn't say this there, but he's speaking to the, excuse me, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he's saying, repent from the way you've always done it, because you are dead in your religion. You are dead in your religion. You're dead the way you've always done it. And so if you're writing things down, I, was, I promised myself I wasn't going to say that, but you say it so many times, you can't help it. If you're writing things down, write this down. Okay, I got it out. Okay, it feels one of the biggest mistakes we make is looking at someone else's position or title and we seek what they have instead of being obedient to god i'll say it again one of the biggest mistakes that we make is looking at someone else's position or title and we seek what they have instead of being obedient to god zechariah was a levite and elizabeth a descendant of aaron And he prophesied over John, this is who you're going to be. And so John was raised up in high priest school. And he's going, I'm going to be the high priest. I'm going to be able to atone for sin. And da, 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 da. But then he has this thing inside of him where then he starts quoting the prophecy that was spoken over his life when he was born. I am going to prepare the way of the Lord. And I am going to preach salvation. And I am going to be the one who brings peace. And he's, I mean, he's like pumping himself up out in the wilderness by himself, no one else around, no social media, no newspapers, Not probably not even friends. It's him and the Lord, and he's repeating over himself because he knows who he is in the Lord because it was prophesied over him, it was spoken over him, it was instilled into him, I will prepare the way of the Lord. And so he's out there doing this. And here's another thing, if you want to write this one down too. Man's praise validation are used as tools to rob you of being fulfilled by living out your God-ordained purpose. Man's praise and validation, Zach, are used as tools to rob you of being fulfilled by living out your God-ordained purpose. He was not going to let their presence rob him from the what the, he knew the destiny was on his life what was prophesied over his life he would not succumb to their presence i got to move quick i have another whole page of notes here i've got a couple minutes yes, this is so good all right luke 3:15 Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon. And they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. And John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork, and he will clean up the threshing area, area, gather the wheat into his barn, but burn the chaff with a never-ending fire. John used many such warnings to announce the good news (laughs) to the people. That is good news that he is standing there with a winnowing fork, like the painting with the husband and the wife, he's got the glasses and the winnowing fork, and he's standing there with the winnowing fork, and he is separating the wheat and the chaff in a way that he throws it up in the air when everything is going crazy all around you. He's throwing you up in the air, and the chaff blows away, and the wheat falls to the ground. And he's separating you. He goes, and the chaff you will burn. This is good news. Now, I want to flip to John 1, 19 through 31, and I just pulled out my NASB to read this. Now, we're going to get into the message. John 1, 19 says this. I'm going to read it fast. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent him to the priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no, the prophet. And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And I just want to make one comment about that Isaiah 43 passage. The book of Isaiah from chapter 1 to 39 is doom, gloom, you adulterous nation. I can't believe You won't serve me like this, and I am going to destroy you, and I am going to rip everything from you because you are bad. You are bad. Isaiah 1 through 39 is doom and gloom. Isaiah 40, the story turns, and there is a pivot in the book of Isaiah, and that book of Isaiah chapter 40 is where this is located. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. Every valley brought up and every mountain made low. Okay? He says, John, uh, John uh, uh, verse 26, John answered him, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the, th- the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf whom I said. After me comes a man who is higher rank than I for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel. I came baptizing with water. And John testified, saying, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove on on heaven, and he remained upon him. This is John's cousin. And he says right here, I didn't even know that he was the Messiah until this moment. In that moment, John's baptizing by the river. And he turns around, and Jesus is walking over the hill. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Fresh revelation. He didn't even realize it till that moment. And then it starts to unfold where Jesus gets baptized. Then he goes into the wilderness himself. And he comes out and begins a ministry. And then in John 3.30, don't, you don't have to turn there. I'll just tell you what happens. John continuing his ministry. John's now baptizing. And then Jesus' disciples start baptizing. And one of John's disciples comes to him and says, that guy you called the Messiah, like, he's baptizing too. Like, I don't know what's going on here. Aren't you the one? And John says this thing, I must decrease and he must increase. Guys, I'm gonna close with this. You guys can stand up. It's 10:33. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Maybe I'll get another chance. There's always next service. <laughs> it had to be John. It had to be John. In the heart of John, he comes out raging. Even Jesus himself, in Matthew 11, 11 says he had to spe- He was Elijah. We think about Elijah, we think like calling fire down from heaven, raising people from the dead. Crazy, prophetic voice. It had to be John. It had to be John. Not only was it prophesied by Gabriel and then prophesied over him by his father, and he was raised up learning the way of the temple and the tabernacle, the order. Maintain order to live in righteousness so that I can come into the presence of God. Maintaining that order, all the while, this thing stirring up inside of him I am anointed to prepare the way of the Lord. This church, his providence church, has a John the Baptist mantle where the cry of our heart is I must decrease, he must increase. I must decrease, he must increase. Meanwhile, our message is prepare the way of the Lord. He is coming with a winnowing fork. No longer can you walk in the gray area. No longer, the time is done. We cannot walk, we cannot be so consumed and concerned about the way things are done. It had to be John. He had to be the one who was anointed by God as the next high priest, but lived out his anointing and his calling out in the wilderness, in the wasteland. The way. The Interesting thing here, in that prophetic word where Zechariah is declaring that word over his son, when it says you will prepare the way of the lord you will tell his people how to find salvation that word salvation now you may have heard it taught we've talked about it i talk about it all the time the word saved sozo right it means saved healed set free delivered made whole but this word salvation is not sozo This word salvation in the Greek is soterias, which in its root also means saved, healed, and delivered. But in this particular verse, according to this lexicon that I was reading the other day, just kidding. No, I was really reading it, but I'm just. Soterias means this in Luke 1, 7, 7. Future salvation, the sum of benefits and blessings which Christians redeemed from all earthly ills will enjoy after the visible return of Christ from heaven in the consummated and eternal kingdom of God. That is a lot of language, but let me tell you what. Not only was that prophetic word over John that he would prepare the way of the Lord and he would be called a prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way and you will tell people how to find salvation in that present tense. But this prophetic word was not just for John the Baptist in that moment for the course of his life that his providence church, as we walk under this mantle of John the Baptist, that we will, we will tell people how to find salvation, which is when we visibly see Jesus come back at the consummation and the fulfillment of God's purposes and plans on this earth. The second coming of Christ, John was able to prophesy and prepare the way for Jesus's first coming. This house, this time, this season, this epoch in time. And it's not just his providence, but this morning I'm speaking to just his providence. We have been called to prepare the way of the Lord because he is coming back first through us and then coming down in the sky. He is being made visible through the consummation an eternal kingdom. Prepare the way it had to be John out in the wilderness, breaking every rule, going outside of everyone else's box of what a high priest looked like, sounded like, and did. And it had to be his providence church. It had to be in a mall. It had to be in a mall. It had to be, had to be pastors with no college Bible degree or kicked out of Bible college, or kicked out of their denomination. It had to be. It had to be the river that removed itself and chose not to fall under the the Department of Health and the CDC. It had to be. It had to be King's Academy that says, we're just not gonna educate them what it says in the textbook. We're gonna educate them in the presence of God. It had to be. And it has to be, it has to be in you. It has to be outside of what we keep trying to shove God into this box, into this definition of what he's doing and how he's going to do it. Behold, I am doing a new thing and it's already begun. Do you not perceive it? Do you not perceive it? And that's not just with your eyes, that's with your ears, that's with your heart. Do you not perceive it? The reason why inner healing and deliverance is so important in this church is because it's aligning ourselves. It's aligning ourselves, it's getting ourselves back to rhythm with the Spirit so that we can walk righteously and come into the presence of God and burn the incense on the altar, and His presence fills the room, and His purposes and plans are manifested through us. It has to be. It has to be. It had to be John. It had to be. So His Providence Church, you will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way of the Lord. You will tell His people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it will spring forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a pathway in the wilderness and create rivers in the wasteland. Father, This morning if there's anything in me that would hinder the work of the Lord in the lives of those around me I ask you now Holy Spirit to reveal it in my heart and I repent of the things that have kept me from fulfilling your plans and purposes in my life the things that have been hindrance to your kingdom coming through me And God, show me, give me eyes to see and ears to hear. Where is this wilderness you've called me to? Where is the wasteland? The thing that I call a wasteland. The thing that I have called dead. Give me eyes to see so that I can perceive that that is where your river is flowing. And Lord God, for us as a church, that we will walk in the identity of which you have called us. Not just to apostolically see your plans and purposes and kingdom established in Swansea Mall, in Swansea as an earth in heaven, but Lord God, that prophetically we would know where we are going. We would know who we are. And that when everyone comes against us to either tell us how awesome we are or to tell us how awful we are, we will be confident because we know as sons and daughters that our Father has spoken over us that we have been called to prepare the way of the Lord. And so, Lord God, I charge this this body this morning to be a voice, to be the voice, that we are the voice in the wilderness, crying out, prepare the way of the lord we are baptizing with water but there is one who baptizes in the holy spirit and with fire and god our hearts posture and our surrender is lord i must decrease and you must increase for your name's sake And as we go from here today, God, that we will walk in that truth. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive what it is that you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for your attention. And go prepare the way. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.